Well, good evening, everyone. I encourage you to turn in God's Word to Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 5. And for the next number of weeks, we're going to be looking at the Beatitudes. And maybe a challenge for you over the next eight weeks is to memorize these eight Beatitudes. We'll be reading them um, every week for the next eight weeks. So why don't you try and memorize God's Word? Let's listen to God's Word. Matthew chapter 5. On seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you, and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Amen. May God bless us the reading of his word. Well, I'm sure you are familiar with Farrell Williams' song, Happy, that was released in 2014. It's a catchy song. It made it to number one in over 20 countries. And while it's an upbeat song, and it may even give you a lift, is that where your happiness is found? Basically, the lyrics are saying, if you're happy, you are impervious to bad news. At best, it's positive thinking. At worst, it's denial of reality. And the message is that whatever makes you happy, well, that is what you are to do. But after you've listened to the song a few times, does it really help you? A few more times and you find you can't get the tune out of your head. It becomes annoying. The lyrics become meaningless, especially clap along if you feel like a room without a roof. That would not make me happy. That sounds more like a home maintenance nightmare. Well, this evening, we come to the truth, not of this song, but the truth of God's word, to understand what happiness looks like for the Christian. It's not success, it's not reputation, it's not good health, it's not lots of wealth. The world would consider these to be the means of happiness. Jesus' original audience would have seen happiness also to be based on these worldly ideas. So what Jesus had to say in regards to these Beatitudes was shocking. Now, these Beatitudes are familiar words with most of us. But how much do we really understand about them? And so this evening we'll be looking at the first Beatitude. And I want you to notice that happiness or blessedness is recognizing your humility before God which Christ demonstrated, and in so doing, secured your place in his kingdom. And children, I encourage you to draw a picture of a blessed man, but note this person does not necessarily have to have a smile on his face to be blessed. So firstly, blessedness is not emotional happiness, but it's when you find favor 
with God. So Jesus is speaking to his disciples and the crowd of people are all around them. And to his disciples, he is speaking these beatitudes. And these blessings are the reality for God's people. They have been described as the birthmarks of God's people. This is who you are. Now, these are not natural characteristics. Some people are naturally meek. Some people are naturally humble or shy. That's not what Jesus is talking about. No, it's something supernatural. God is at work in your life, and he is transforming you by blessing you. And this blessing may not even feel good, for Jesus is not referring to emotional happiness. There are many people in this world who are happy. Life is good for them. They have a good job. They have a comfortable home. They have a healthy family. Their sports team is doing well. They are achieving their personal best at the gym workout. They're getting good grades at college. There's a lot of happiness in our world today, but we can't call these people necessarily blessed. No, those who are truly blessed, they may not have good health. They may not be doing well financially. They may be struggling at college. They're not impressive on the sports field. They may be struggling in their marriage. And in their family, there is disagreement. They may be battling depression and anxiety. They are not happy in the world's eyes. But they are blessed by God. And that's because they know God's favor. That's what it means to be blessed. It means to be a child of God. And so we have to see God's blessing as very different to how society sees it. And sadly, how many Christians see it today. And as we study these Beatitudes, each of these truths, it should be a reflection of who you are as those who have found God's favor. So it's not a case that some of you will fit one Beatitude and some of the rest of you will fit another Beatitude. So it's not that Beatitudes are for certain groups of believers. No, each of the Beatitudes are to be exhibited by every one of you as Christ's disciples. And the other aspect of the Beatitudes to recognize is that while they are a present reality for all believers, they are only fully realized in the future when we go to be with Christ. This has been described as the already and the not yet of the kingdom. So these Beatitudes speak of what followers of Christ are like, but there is another sense in that these Beatitudes are something that you are growing into, you are developing in your Christian life. And so they help differentiate believers and unbelievers. And that's intentional. Jesus is teaching his disciples here. But watching on are these crowds of, believe, of people. And Jesus is saying, this is what you could have. This is what is an offer. If you belong to my kingdom, you will know blessing. Now what's striking is that the Old Testament ends with a curse. The last chapter of Malachi speaks of a day coming when God will bring destruction on this earth. But there is hope in the chapter for there is this prophecy of a coming Elijah who will change hearts. And so Christ has come and he is declaring these beatitudes, how he's removing the curse and instead providing blessings. He is the fulfillment of Elijah in Malachi 4. He is the bearer of the curse so that his people will know blessing. 
Well, what an encouragement to these crowds of people. They would be familiar with this passage in Malachi, and they are listening. They are so familiar with the curse that they are under. But here is Christ who speaks of blessing. It's also true today. Our world needs to hear what it means to be truly blessed. They need to see this demonstrated by you, God's people. Let's look at this first beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So secondly, poor in spirit is when you realize that you have nothing. The first beatitude is one that doesn't sound that appealing. It's to be poor. And you might be wondering, what is the blessing in poverty? Or does God only favor those who are poor? Now, Jesus, in his ministry, he certainly emphasized ministering to the poor and those in the margins of society. He certainly challenges us in our attachment to the things of this world. But Jesus also never demanded that we take a vow of poverty. Instead, we are to be generous with what we have. And so this beatitude is not referring to material poverty. It's also not referring to a poverty that we can attain within ourselves. I wonder if you remember in Charles Dickens' book, David Copperfield, the character Uriah Heep, he kept saying how he was a humble man. The reality was he was anything but humble. He was actually very proud of his humility, and he used it to manipulate people. And so you have people who like to put themselves down simply to gain sympathy, or they purposely put themselves in pain or neglect to demonstrate a false humility. But again, that is not what this beatitude is referring to. Instead, this beatitude is speaking of who we are before God. Our spirit, that's our personhood, is our view of ourselves. And so to be poor in spirit is recognizing who we are before God, that we are guilty, that we are spiritually bankrupt before God, that we are unworthy of his grace, for he requires perfect obedience something that we cannot do. It is recognizing who we are as sinners and that before a holy God, we are deserving of his wrath. Martin Lloyd-Jones, in speaking about being poor in spirit, writes, it's a complete absence of pride, a complete absence of self-assurance and self-reliance. And this is not something that people in our culture want to hear. Today, the focus is very much on having a high self-esteem and naturally, we are all pride. This includes who we are spiritually. We look to our attainments, and we are attracted to religion where there are a list of do's and don'ts so we can try and do or not do things. We don't like to depend on anyone or anything. That's what gives us self-esteem and worth. We find that within ourselves. But that's a denial of who we really are before God. We noticed this last week in our passage at the, on the sermon to the letter to the Laodiceans. Remember the Laodiceans and what they said. They said, I am rich. I am wealthy. I am in need of nothing. And Jesus had to tell them, no, you're wretched. You are poor. You are miserable. You are blind. And you are naked. They would not admit it. They were self-satisfied. And so much of the world that we are living in is complacent. Now, at times, reality hits. 
People are forced to see their weakness. They're forced to see their sinfulness. But often, they tend to double down on what they can feel pride about. I remember meeting a guy who told me his confidence for getting into heaven was because of a tattoo of a cross that he had on his arm. That's not poverty of spirit. No, you need to humble yourself. And we see many examples of this in the Bible. Isaiah 6, woe is me for I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Consider also John the Baptist when he said, I indeed baptize you of water, but one mightier than I is coming whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Consider the Canaanite woman. She said, yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Over and over again, we see in scripture those who are poor in spirit. They saw the greatness and the glory of God, and they saw themselves as nothing. Billy Graham said, when we come to the end of ourselves, we come to the beginning of God. Well, how do you see yourself? If you want to know blessing in your Christian life, you must realize that you have nothing. This is the starting point of salvation, to recognize you have nothing. Well, thirdly, poor in spirit is when you realize that you are dependent on Christ. So what was the remedy that Christ offered to the Laodiceans? It was Revelation 3.18, buy for me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich, white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with salve that you may see. They needed Christ. They were to look beyond themselves and see Christ as the one that they are to depend on. He makes them rich. He clothes them in righteousness. He gives them sight. Jonathan Edwards, speaking of repentant sinners, writes, Unexpectedly, they find him with open arms to embrace them, ready forever to forget all their sins as if they had never been. They find that he runs to meet them and make them most welcome and admits them not only to be his servants, but his friends. This is the description of Christ that you must hold on to. Otherwise, you will approach him in a very different way. And so consider how you approach God. Often that's very revealing of who you're trusting in. And this is very evident in the parable that Jesus taught of the Pharisee and the tax collector in Luke 18. They both went to the temple to pray. And we see this in Luke 18, 11. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Was it the tax collector or was it the Pharisee who went home justified? Well, it was the tax collector. Rather than exalt himself before God, he humbled himself. He trusted in God's mercy and we read that he was exalted. Well, this is how we come before God. 
Every Sunday we come and worship him. Well, you are to come with empty hands. We're not to come holding on to our accomplishments. Instead, we are to come realizing that we come as beggars. You're to come seeking God's blessing, not because there is anything about you that deserves it, not even if you think you are a victim in some way or that you have faced some great injustice. No, there is nothing that you have that can attain God's blessing. But there is something that Christ has. In him, there is salvation. In him, there is righteousness, which he has transferred to you. And that's what he did on the cross. He takes your sinfulness and he's punished for it. That's why he died on the cross. His death is a means to cover your sins by his shed blood. And as well as taking our sins, he gives to us his righteousness. And that's what makes us acceptable in God's sight. And so through Christ, you have approval with God. And so it's through him that you enjoy God's favor. And the result is that yours is the kingdom of heaven. Christ has done the work. He has attained for you salvation. He's not asking if you're worthy of it. You're not. No, you're to take it with empty hands. Well, fourthly, live out being poor in spirit, for this is who you really are. This humility, being poor in spirit, should be evident throughout your life. And the most obvious way to demonstrate it is by praying. When you're quick to recognize your weakness, but also recognize that in God you have help, well, you respond by praying. You regularly come to him in prayer, recognizing that he is in control, that it is in his hands. When you don't know what to do, you should be quick to call out to him for wisdom and guidance. When you are alone and afraid, call out to him for help and comfort. When you're poor in the spirit, you're trusting God for everything, from your daily bread to safety on the road. I remember traveling with Lena to Louisville, and the first thing that Lena did was to say a prayer, asking God to take us there safely. So whatever it is, take it to God in prayer. That's what humility before God looks like in your life. And so you are to be humble before God, but you should also demonstrate your humility in your relationships with others. And that's not easy. Self-centeredness is how we operate. Just think of when you're angry or when you're anxious or even your happiness. Most of the time it's a reflection upon ourselves that we are demanding control. We are demanding respect. We are demanding love. And when we don't get it, you respond in these different ways. This is all the more difficult when our society is obsessed with being true to yourself. That it's better to let it out and express yourself rather than contain it. But it's not better. It only makes things worse. And too often we seek to have the final word, to win the fight. Now we've been called to love our enemies. And you don't need to have the last word. Christians who are poor in spirit can live with being criticized and being misunderstood. Proverbs 19 verse 11, good sense makes one slow to anger and it is his glory to overlook an offense. Too often, we are easily offended. 
when we are better to simply overlook the offense. And it's our pride that makes us prickly. We are only seeking after our own reputation when we would be better to be silent. That's what it means to be poor in spirit in your relationships. And this humility should also be evident in how we operate as a church. Too often, we're more interested in gaining success and following the marketing approach of this world by becoming seeker-sensitive rather than being God-focused. But we are not seeking status from this world. No, instead, keep your focus on God. Recognize that he is the one who builds his church, and that will keep you humble. Christ uses the parable of the mustard seed to describe the kingdom of God. There's nothing showy about it. It's the opposite. The mustard seed is small. It's insignificant. The kingdom grows without anyone even noticing it. And so why do we want the world to notice us when Jesus has told us this is not the way it's going to happen? And we see this in the news all the time. We hear of the growth of Islam. We hear of the growth of progressive ideology. And yet we never hear the growth of Christianity. If anything, we only hear about the decline. And yet Christianity is growing. And it is having an influence in this world. And it's by God using humble people sharing the good news of the work of Christ in their lives. So live out this poverty in spirit. We'll finally notice Christ demonstrated this humility, being poor in spirit, even to death. Maybe you're thinking, that's not right. We are to take on the world. We are to fight. We are to stand up for ourselves. But I want you to consider the life of Christ. Throughout his life, he demonstrated humility. He was poor in spirit. Now, he had every reason to demand respect and glory. He is the son of God. And yet, he emptied himself of his glory and became a servant. He showed compassion by taking the time to teach the people right up to his last days and hours on earth, many of whom would desert him. And if Christ would become a servant, how much more should we humble ourselves and serve others? And we see glimpses of Christ's humility throughout his ministry. Just consider when he was tempted by the devil. He did not rely on his own wisdom, even though he is divine. He used the word of God to respond to Satan's temptations. And in doing, doing so, Duguid says he is our model of complete dependence on God. Consider also the devotion of Christ in prayer. Why did Jesus need to pray? Why did he spend time in devotion to being in the Father's presence since he is God? Why ask for strength to be victorious when he had it? But again, Jesus is demonstrating his dependence on God and so exhibiting what it means to be poor in spirit. Being poor in spirit is why Christ got baptized. Baptism points to the washing away of sins. But Jesus is sinless. Why did he need to be baptized? Surely it'd be better not to be baptized and so demonstrate his holiness. But Jesus humbled himself. He was baptized to identify with his people as their sin bearer. He is acting as their representative. He was baptized not for his sins, for he had none, but for the sins of believers, so they would be cleansed.
And surely the greatest example of Christ being poor in spirit was his death on the cross. And yet his humility to die in this way is often a stumbling block. How can the Son of God die? But this too is a lack of humility in not recognizing that only God can save his people. Only God can take the offense on himself. And so his death would pay the price of sin. His death would conquer Satan. His death would end death. And so his death has guaranteed you a place in this kingdom. And yet in being God, Jesus was not defeated by death. He rose again. He is alive. And he takes you to be part of his kingdom where you have perfect blessing to enjoy peace and joy because you are with God. You are enjoying perfect communion with him. So true happiness, true blessing is recognizing your humility before God, which Christ demonstrated. And in so doing, he secured your place in his kingdom. Now, it's been a while since we've had an illustration about the queen. In the weeks and months before her death, the queen's mobility was severely restricted. She no longer had the strength to walk and stand like she once did. And so she was using a wheelchair to get around. But she was very intentional not to be seen using this wheelchair. She did not want her weakness to become a talking point among the general public. And so she instead limited the number of events that she took on. She increasingly used Zoom to appear at public events. And the palace would orchestrate events so that her walking was minimized as much as possible. She wanted to demonstrate strength right to the end. And we can sympathize with that. For as a head of state, it was her duty to show strength. But in many ways, we seek to do the same. But when it comes to your spiritual life, when it comes to you before God, you are to use the wheelchair. You are to recognize your weakness and realize that you're poor in spirit, that you have nothing. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, it is nothing then that we can produce. It is nothing that we can do in ourselves. It is just this tremendous awareness of our utter nothingness as we come face to face with God. So see yourself for who you are. You are humble, and yet God shows you his favor. So true happiness, true blessing, is recognizing your humility before God. And that's what Christ demonstrated. And in so doing, he secured your place in his kingdom. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the blessing in knowing your favor. Remind us again and again that we have nothing to contribute to our salvation that we are poor in spirit. Instead, that we would see that we are completely dependent on Christ. And so help us to live out that humility before you as we come to you in prayer, as we relate to others, not, to, not being quick to be offended, as we see your church in this world. Lord, we thank you for Christ. We thank you for his demonstration of humility that was ultimately seen on the cross so that we would have a place in his kingdom. And so we ask this in his name. Amen. Well, please turn in your psalm book to Psalm 51D. Psalm 51D, the psalm speaks of the emptiness of David before God. He comes with a broken and a contrite heart. 
Well, this is what it means to be poor in spirit and so know God's salvation. So please stand and sing Psalm 51D.